Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. I have two guests. Uh, CEO of Constellation. His name is Brendan Playford and the CTO, Wyatt Melbourne Flock. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're doing pretty good, man. Wonderful. Great to be here. Yeah. Yeah, let's start off. Uh, you know, I looked at a little bit about what Constellation does, but uh, let's put it in your own words. You know, let listeners know what is Constellation about. Yeah, I'll do a quick sort of uh, intro and then sort of hand off to Wyatt to cover some of the sort of the te- technical side of stuff. So uh, Constellation is a... Um, uh, a, a new kind of DAG architecture uh, that we came up with uh, around uh, a year ago. We were working on a, a DAP that we were going to be building on Ethereum. And um, as we were going through the process of building the, uh, the DAP, we realized there was going to be a lot of issues with scaling, which I think everybody kind of is very aware of now in the space. But in sort of May, June last year, there was sort of a lot of um, hope and, uh, you know, it, at the time, promised for Ethereum in terms of what it could deliver. And as we saw, people started building, and, and with CryptoKitties sort of in December, uh, was the mm-hmm. kind of apex of scaling issues. Uh, and we realized that quite early on. And um, Wyatt, who's from a, a very sort of technical distributed systems background, having worked um, from steady at home with NASA, um, and also working within sort of machine learning uh, distributed data systems in San Francisco, uh, envisaged and, and sort of had this vision for a, a better network, which 
um, is, is now most people realize is a DAG. And we obviously saw IOTA as the first kind of one going to market. Uh, and there's many more coming through. And we believe that 2018 is probably the year of the actual DAG. Um, and we have this vision for a, a global mesh net of devices that um, all contribute resources to our network to create a, a horizontally scalable architecture. I'm going to pass up on to Wyatt to kind of talk a bit more about what that means from a technical perspective. Um, if you can get into exactly so well, it's a, it's uh, a, why this is Yeah, important. it's a DAP, but what does it do? I mean, let's, let's go, you know, let's go with some basics first. Uh, it, we're not actually a DAP. We're, we're our own independent protocol. Yeah, DAG is what I'm it, saying. It's Sorry. DAG, directed acyclic graph, yes. Mm, DAG okay. protocol. Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. So sort of leading in with, uh, you know, that clarification. Um, yeah, I, we basically just went in and rebuilt a blockchain uh, from the ground up using the latest and greatest techniques that uh, people use when, you know, building distributed systems today. Um, they're literally uh, the same way we built Constellations, the same way people at Google, Facebook, Uber, um, they scaled their backends in order to provide a consumer-facing application. Um, we literally just built a crypto from the ground up to be um, uh, to integrate with those types of systems. Okay. Um, yeah, but what what is the? Uh, I guess you know it's my lack of understanding. What what is going to be the main? premise of the product, what is it going to do, uh, who's the end user, let's go into some of those details. Yeah, do you want to, do you want to explain sort of like horizontal scaling and, and yeah, like totally. architecture and, and how that's sort of important? Yeah, 100%. Um, I can also talk a little bit more about our spec too, but uh, you know, TLDR, the end user is the average person. Um, really, we are going to create like a Venmo-like application where people can send and receive cash um, efficiently uh, in the same way that um, you'd use Visa. Um, no crypto has done this before. Um, no crypto has been able to uh, do this without um, transaction fees. So um, yeah, we're pretty excited about it. Um, yeah, and TLDR is uh, the way in which we built our uh, blockchain is to ensure that it has um, one technical spec, which is something called horizontal scalability. Um, in addition to a couple of other main components, uh, I'm just going to, to focus on the scalability part right now. Uh, but essentially, horizontal scalability means that the more nodes that join the network, the faster the network becomes. Um, so our transaction rate is actually a function of the number of nodes who join the network. Um, as opposed to your traditional linear blockchain, uh, which is bottlenecked um, by some transaction rates, since every single transaction um, requires a very complicated consensus protocol. Well, not only that, I mean, if you uh, if you have nodes in you know North America and then some in Europe and some in Asia, the physical distance I would think would cause latency. So how do you you know by adding nodes, how does it go faster? Well, that just really leads into uh, our delegate selection model and our reputation system. So. Um, yes, you're absolutely right that we are, uh, as, it, as in any, any application, uh, whether it's crypto or not, we are bottlenecked by um, network delays. Uh, so what we did is we came up with an incentive scheme or a validator reward scheme such that, um, yeah, uh, nodes are incentivized to make sure that they are connected to uh, other nodes in a realistic geographical area. Uh, we accomplished mm. all of this by factoring this into a delegate selection protocol that uses a machine learning algorithm in order to reward nodes that perform um, the best, uh, the most in a meritocratic way. We, we find a way to reward nodes for uh, proper behavior uh, and linking uh, to other nodes within the same geographic area in order to perform one consensus cluster is one of the uh, ways in which we accomplish this. So how much of a, can, you know, let's say there's, uh, I don't know, a thousand nodes, you know, but uh, I'm doing a transaction in California. How many nodes would I need? And will, I, will there be enough locally to me where I can have a super fast transaction, yet it's enough to have a consensus for the whole network? 
Well, see, that sort of boils down to how we don't actually need to perform consensus for every transaction. Um, so, uh, you know, following some academic research, uh, one really seminal paper known as Checo, um, what we were able to see that uh, Byzantine fault tolerance can be insured on transactions even when uh, consensus is not performed on the state of every block. Um, many other protocols are now doing this, including Hashgraph and Byteball. Um, and uh, yeah, so basically we don't need to perform consensus every time there's a transaction. We can rely upon network effects in order to self-regulate itself. Okay, all right. I didn't, uh, any metrics you can give on how many nodes are needed for consensus, you know, without giving away any secret sauce or anything? I mean, it's Not great that you're doing it geographically locally. That's, that's great. Yeah. So to be honest, the whole thing is actually variable based upon how many nodes are on the network and what network traffic is like. Um, we're factoring in as many real-time features into our model uh, as we can in order to really give uh, an effective snapshot of how the network is performing. Um, and, and we can essentially allow our validator reward system in order to self-prune and make sure that nodes are doing what they need to at the right time. So that's really just a long way of saying it's variable because just like our transaction rate, it's a function of what's available at the right time. Um, we have no real official, um, you know, we don't really try to, we don't have any uh, bottlenecks basically. So in the same sense that we do have an unlimited throughput, um, our actual like rate varies uh, as a function of what's happening on the live network. I mean, the same thing happens in Bitcoin as well. They just don't necessarily, or you know, any other protocol. It's just not necessarily factored into a network uh, self-regulating itself. Um, and we can show mathematically that this is uh, way more efficient. Well, what what are the other bottlenecks to uh, scalability? So there's transaction speed. Is that it? Or you know, what else are the bottlenecks? Yeah. So just looking at the way that Bitcoin and Ethereum sort of being a the first generation, second generation, because everything's executed in serial uh, across those networks. Um, and obviously, the entire state of the network is held on each node. So you get the full blockchain for Bitcoin, the full blockchain for Ethereum on those. Um, it's equivalent to trying to pass a message around, uh, you know, a, a city, right? And if I want to yell hello to somebody and pass that message around 100 people in San Francisco, it's going to take some time to distribute that message effectively before I can go and say, how are you? So if I want to say hello, how are you around San Francisco, and that message has to propagate to every single person I'm conveying it to before moving on to the next word, that's effectively what Bitcoin and Ethereum is. So the way that the kind of transactions are ordered and the way that every node has to be updated, it creates that uh, very, very uh, sort of difficult sort of scenario where every node has to maintain its state. On like a DAG like we're building, that's all done by gossip. So each node passes its sort of transactions to its nearest nearest neighbors and gossips messages mm. across the network. Uh, and that's very different mm. because the way that maintains state, it's like passing out a message uh, in Chinese whispers where it, unlike traditional Chinese whispers, that message remains intact. It gets passed from sort of node to node and person to person. So if you're in a house and you sort of say, hello, how are you? That message can spread sort of through the room because each person passes it on. Um, that removes right. the need to have every single node maintaining state uh, and therefore increases the throughput of the network. Hmm. Well, I mean, and, what if there's uh, two transactions that are competing somehow and they're being gossiped from opposite ends geographically? What will happen? That's a great, that's a great question. So that, that problem is actually solved um, through counterparty signing or double signing transactions. Um, one can show on the limit that it's impossible to double spend uh, requiring a double sign on a transaction. 
Um, this is actually how we can ensure that point of sale and vendor systems are compatible um, with our architecture. And if you look at if you look at IOTA's architecture, this is something that they've uh, implemented Hashgraph, and most of the DAGs out there um, employ a, a double signing of transactions with one like nearest neighbors. So you've got okay. like a locality in terms of nodes, um, and uh, validating those are required to double sign uh, as part of their kind of process, which which enforces that. Um, Inability to double spend in that in that limit. Hmm, okay. Um, any other barriers to uh, scalability? Yeah. So um, before White jumps, I'm just going to mention sort of the notion of smart contracts and and where we're um, moving towards a microservices architecture. So again, the way that uh, DApps and smart contracts are built on Ethereum are, are rather monolithic in certain respects because you end up packaging most of your kind of logic and code into your smart contract, which is then hosted again across every single node in the network. And, and when that's executed, that's executed serially in a block. Um, and, and there's a latency and a delay in those blocks being uh, signed and added to the, to the chain. So you have to, you can make one request in one block to that smart contract, and then you have to wait for another block to be able to make another request, and that limits your request to right now, like the 14 to 15 transactions per second, as we know. Um, that is like what we're going to call for the purpose of like monolithic smart contracts. Um, everything has to be executed in serial. If you look at what we're doing, we're taking an existing sort of methodology from application building on distributed networks, which is microservices. And what are microservices? You can think of an application as a group or a cluster of microservices all accommodating different facets of the application. So on your Facebook app, you have uh, an API or a microservice for messaging. You have an API or a microservice for your uh, newsfeed. Uh, you have one for your profile. You have all these different components that when bolted together and skinned, uh, form your application. Um, so what we're doing is we're breaking out logic into microservices on Constellation. Um, they're hosted on uh, individual nodes that provide some kind of SLA to the network uh, and are rewarded by the services that use them, um, which is very, very different to the way in which um, Ethereum and other blockchains are deploying um, smart contracts uh, and actually plays into the way that developers already build existing applications. Okay. All right. Um, what do you think, in your opinion, what's going to be the top features of your DAG, you know, beyond scalability, it's going to be scalable, which is great, fast, et cetera. But what are the other features that you're really excited about? Um, so I'll let Wyatt jump in a minute on this as well to give his viewpoint. But for me, it, following on from this microservices sort of um, mentality and philosophy and kind of uh, thought leading sort of perspective putting forward is, is the fact that we're building this in uh, the Java virtual machine as our kind of compiler. Um, and it's going to be one of our main focuses allowing developers to natively come in and start working on our protocol in a way that they're familiar with. So if you look at all the most successful applications, they're generally now built using microservices architecture. They're also generally built within a Java type environment um, or a Java virtual machine, whether that be on mobile or, or many other devices by creating an environment on or a developer environment on our protocol that is very akin to what developers are automatically working in. It just opens up a pool of talent and a pool of applications to onboard in a way that isn't available right now. Like 
Yeah, and not only that, it really allows for 90% of the existing consumer-facing applications to integrate Constellation in their existing code base, um, frankly, quite seamlessly. Um, so literally, in terms of what is it going to take for Uber to start accepting our cash in their existing application, probably one developer's afternoon. Uh, it's, it's literally quite that simple. Um, yeah, so in addition to our, uh, you know, focus on integrating with existing, uh, you know, applications out there, there's really two main focuses as well. Um, one uh, is our consensus mechanism, uh, which is truly quite meritocratic as opposed to the existing proof of work and proof of stake schemes out there, uh, as well as our, uh, our, not our notion, but basically our quest for cross-chain liquidity that does not require any central agent. Um, we're we're quite bullish on our approach, which uses existing uh, the existing like you know world of type theory. Um, it's something called um, uh, yeah, just like homotopy type theory, uh, the way in which uh, programmers use uh, type systems in their the way their code in order to enforce and ensure cross chain liquidity. Um, so yeah, we have both fact we use um, our approach to cross chain liquidity in our own existing protocol, sort of because the proof of how this can work. Um, and also, like our approach towards uh, you know smart contracts is quite literally to create your own para or osmotic chain. Um, our entire ecosystem, instead of ERC20 tokens, is an internet of blockchains itself. All that inherent, notably, uh, from our DAG architecture and our protocol, our consensus mechanism. Uh, however, in the future, we're also going to be working on another project which allows us to integrate in any kind of architecture, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, in any language whatsoever. Uh, all that requires uh, is a compiler plugin. Uh, so basically an interpreter, a pilot plugin. You want to write something in C, you want to write something in, in uh, Python, you want to write something in, you know, for um, an Apple computer um, or rather, uh, you know, an iPhone in Swift. Uh, all you have to do is use our plugin and you can instantly integrate with all of our different, uh, all, our existing internet of blockchains um, without a central liquidity agent like Cosmos or Polkadot require. Well, when you say it's across blockchain liquidity, does that mean an atomic swap or how is this? Correct. How is, it, how is it allowing the token to work across various blockchains? I'm sorry, yeah. So that's what we do for scalability. Is it? I mean, so the truth is, um, you know, cross-chain atomic swaps really aren't that difficult. Uh, the thing is, people just aren't really... I got to be honest, man, I don't really know why. I think that there's really a focus on how do you monetize cross-chain atomic swaps, um, which is why Cosmos and Polkadot are forcing people to use their token in order to use their cross-chain node. Uh, we think that's bogus as hell, and our whole approach is to decentralize um, yeah, the next evolution in blockchain, which is cross-chain atomic swaps. Right. Yeah. Is, are you, are you going to be focusing on your own token that people will use or are you you want this to be an add-on to existing chains out there? You know, would Ethereum take this up and use it? Um, or do you want to, again, you'd have your own chain, your own token, et cetera, that would perform this functionality? Um, we want to be able to integrate with all existing blockchains that are out there. Uh, it, it adds value to all of our ecosystems. And quite frankly, um, it's detrimental in order to enforce some centralized notion of liquidity. Um, so yeah, that's definitely our next step. Uh, our first step is trying to create our own integrate our own ecosystem that's as broad as possible um, with one quick fail swoop, uh, and that's to implement our chain uh, using the JVM and the JVM's existing type system. Um, yeah, and I think it's important to note there as well with with what you're asking is um, do we think we've been on? I mean, we we truly believe and have a vision for being a a, a new kind of fabric or a new uh, connective tissue for blockchain. Um, and mm. that will definitely be deployed out upon our own network. So 
you know, with um, our lightweight individual nodes, we're, we're wanting to deploy into mobile devices and uh, small laptops, computer servers, and things like that. Um, so yeah, it's going to have its own foundational protocol um, with our own token existing on top of that. But we, with what Wyatt's saying about this notion of kind of cross-chain liquidity and, and something else we're looking at, we have the notion of an ERC20 token on Ethereum with the framework that we're building you would effectively, rather than launching a token on Ethereum, you would launch your own blockchain that has the same data structure and schema as Constellation as a concurrent chain or a parachain alongside us. And those parachains would exist with kind of uh, atomic swap liquidity. So when you actually deploy your new network, let's say we're creating a, a, a tokenized uh, scalable chain for uh, medical data and a data marketplace from medical devices. Um, that chain would exist alongside Constellation, be uh, chain fibered, um, and would allow you to transact between those two networks, and also maybe to transact into Bitcoin or Zcash or Ethereum if you so wish by by atomic swap. So, um, I think you know that's a good way of hopefully answering that question. What do you think it's going to do when um, you know tokens are going to be able to move across chains? What I mean, what are some use cases for it? Yeah, I think I think what it's going to do, it's going to remove the argument of one blockchain to rule everything. You know, we look at mm -hmm. Bitcoin and we've seen the last sort of eight to 12 months, the SegWit and the Bitcoin cash kind of splintering. And that's just an example of the way in which communities grow around a certain protocol and a certain use case. What it will do, it will think of it like, you know, countries that become borderless with with, with you know, interchangeable passports in Europe. So at the moment, we have all these siloed ecosystems that are individual blockchains, Bitcoin, Ethereum, that all have, in their own way, very good specific use cases. Bitcoin is a store of value. Ethereum mm. for you know low throughput execution of logic right now. It, it's very well proven, has a, a, a good track record, barring sort of some of the parity mishaps. Um, and what we're going to see, we're going to see a, a, a far better integration of certain chains, um, which will lead to a broader use case and a higher uh, protocol value on those chains that become interconnected. So when you can move or transact between economies across borders, uh, overall wealth and vibrance of those communities goes up, as in like the EU or, you know, being able to transact between countries. The same is going to happen within kind of these uh, what are right now disparate blockchains. So I may want to um, sell a house by using Logic on Ethereum to do the transaction with some oracles to tell me that ownership has been transferred. But I may want to actually right. do the value transaction, like the 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 five hundred thousand dollars or the uh, however many Bitcoin from Party A to Party B on Bitcoin, right? Because it's a more secure uh, and maybe in the future, a more stable store of, uh, of value, which I wouldn't want to You know what I like about that? That's really cool because you're separating aspects of the transaction and it would make it a lot more secure. That's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, with our vision, that's what we're expecting to see. We're expecting to see this move towards an internet of blockchains whereby you're marrying together these ecosystems. And, and rather than having to build on like a scaling solution, you simply connect to a blockchain that has nailed scaling, like that has nailed its niche, and you leverage that, and you kind of, everything plays to their strength. Hmm. Really interesting. Um, how much of your technology is going to be 
white labelable, or do you want everyone to kind of um, go through your blockchain to have this interoperability? Yeah, so um, we actually uh, have been sort of thinking about this a lot um, for the last 12 months, and um, we we want to be as open source and decentralized as possible. So we're creating a, a community portal that is going to allow developers to come in and build um, uh, applications or APIs or ACIs, as we call them, application chain interfaces, which are these kind of microservices. So getting the developer community to come in and, and, and build these kind of connectors and um, additional sort of commercial pieces to our chain, but also giving people the ability to um, fork while maintaining our data structure of our chain to create their own chain that work concurrently to ours. Um, so we want to kind of keep that process as free and distributed as possible and decentralized, whereby Constellation Core continues to pioneer and develop the underlying architecture of Constellation, uh, while other developers can come in, build applications on top of that, or indeed choose to um, create their own parachain that runs alongside it for maybe a specific use case. Um, so we're kind of the curators of the main network, uh, and people can use that in, in two ways, either to build directly on top of Constellation or to take their own uh, chain that runs concurrently um, and build out a more specific use case, for example, in the way that we just described that example with Ethereum and Bitcoin. There might be a specific bit of code that they want to implement on a protocol level that makes it more suitable for like a medical data marketplace, for example, which we right, may right. not implement through seeing on the core. That's cool. Okay. Hmm. Um, interesting. So what's, what's your roadmap look like? What's the rollout of this going to be over this year or next year? Um, so we uh, we conducted our uh, our main sort of private funding round in, in January, which was uh, which was really successful and uh, got us to sort of 97% funded uh, of our sort of 33 million uh, cap. Um, we will be releasing our utility token um, in roughly three or four weeks. Which um, our token breaks down into pretty much two phases. Uh, the first phase will be launched as an RT20 and will be used to um, grow and build the developer, academic, and community, the, the sort of organic community they're attracting to Constellation. Uh, developers will start to develop these applications through our portal. So we're creating a centralized point on a decentralized network where people can come together, collaborate, contribute in a uh, well-organized and thoughtful manner. Um, and get rewarded and get sort of um, stakeholder uh, benefits from doing that. And that's going to run for uh, the next 12 months uh, concurrently to our to our testnet development. And then mainnet launch will be next year. And I'm going to let Wyatt talk a little bit more about sort of the phases of uh, tech, technology development and where we are now um, and sort of what that may look like in a year. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're doing our planning a testnet launch um, around July uh, dates and everything are still being decided. Um, we're also trying to plan an event around that time. Um, that being said, um, you know, we have our own actual testnet off and live, um, sort of working on uh, our main focus actually in development is making sure that when we roll this out, uh, we can get as many developers interested and involved and can hop in right now and start building stuff um, you know, using our main template for uh, an ACI, uh, having our whole documentation and everything taken care of. Um, in addition to our main actual, you know, testnet, 
Um, good test net. That's funny. Uh, and then basically the next year, I'd say we're going to be spending uh, working on load testing and preparing for our mainnet launch. Um, there's actually a very complicated algorithm we're working on right now, which seeks to uh, minimize the disorder in our system, uh, much like one would in a chemical or a quantum system as well. Um, so, um, yeah, we're, we're basically focusing on actually uh, optimizing our existing test net for uh, the foreseeable future. And we'll also be releasing a separate uh, library as well uh, that is namely called um, Observatory, which we're using for actual load testing and can be used for people creating uh, ACIs as well that are parachains with Constellation. Um, so in addition to actually building our main net, we're also going to be releasing new tools and features for testing uh, as well as um, specking out um, parachains that will exist um, in parallel with our own. Gotcha. Okay. Just a couple of questions left. Um, decentralized exchanges seem to be like a, a very big, exciting thing that's coming. It sounds like Constellation will be a great boon for them. How do you see what you're doing fitting into what decentralized exchanges will need? Um, that's an interesting question. I think, you know, as we move towards a world of um, kind of cross-chain atomic swaps, um, I think there is going to be... So let, let's break exchanges to sort of components. There's uh, a speculative component, which is people trading. And then there's like mm -hmm. a usage component. You know, the fact that I may want to use Bitcoin to do a certain function instead of Ethereum. Therefore, I've got to convert one currency into another to uh, undertake that transaction. So I think what we're going to start to see is that um, the ability to transact between different networks becoming decentralized as a core protocol feature. Um, which will mean that centralized exchanges will probably be less used for I'm holding Ethereum and I want to buy something in Bitcoin, therefore I have to transact, you know, I have to exchange it, right? So like that demand yeah. will decrease. Um, but um, in terms of decentralizing exchanges, it, it, that that is something that is, I think, more, um, what's the word, um, philosophically driven. Uh, with the kind of fully decentralized movement, right? So um, if I don't want all the custody of assets to be held by one sort of counterparty, um, right. it's sort of held more in logic in the case of Ether Delta or IDEX, whereby it's all done on smart contract, with, it's kind of more ownerless, right? Um, we're creating an ownerless transaction layer to go between chains. However, the kind of speculative uh, nature of transacting um, Currencies, decentralized exchanges are being put up to kind of avoid, not avoid, but reduce the need for regulation, uh, being in like a jurisdiction, um, but they're still having, you know, pretty significant scaling issues. So it's well, one thing I thought of is like, you know, let's say in the future, I don't know, I'm just going to make it up. There's, uh, I don't know, 10 different coins that really are, would allow me to do all kinds of things I want to do. And if I have enough of them in a wallet, I'd like to have an app that would let me go between those tokens without ever having to go to an exchange. I could just, you know, if I have, if the conversion ratio is whatever, one to one or one to two, and I have Bitcoin and I have Ethereum in my wallet, why can't I just exchange them amongst myself, you know, instead of having yeah, to go to an exchange sort of, or go somewhere? Yeah, and, and that's, the, that's the notion of this kind of cross-chain liquidity that, that we're driving towards and, and, you know, a couple of the other platforms that Wyatt mentioned. I mean, CLDR, man, um, that's kind of not helpful for centralized exchanges because it is a decentralized exchange. And guess what? You can build one with our stuff. 
That's what I wanted to ask. Yeah, because it seems like this is right up the alley of of decentralized exchanges. It's you know I have no yeah no tears lost for the centralized ones. Believe me, they're like rich motels. Yeah, so, you know? so, yeah, that's the kind of thing where I think we we would expect somebody to build um, an app or a, a kind of you know a, an actual DAP that would do that. So you know we'd be looking at inviting developers in to come and create that on the sort of cross chain API framework that we're building. Um, and you know, could group together a you know the top five currencies, let's say, and create a mobile um, wallet that's able to do um, cross-chain atomic swaps just kind of nakedly. Yeah, I, I can see that would be a really cool application. So that's why I asked. Yeah, absolutely. well, very good. So, so where's the best way for interested people to get in touch with you to either develop for Constellation to partner to you know to talk about things? Yeah, so we we've got a couple of things going on about the. The best way to find out more information and read the white paper is on uh, our website, constellationlabs.io. Um, you can also find our Telegram group from there. And we're running a um, uh, a campaign at the moment for six months where um, we're launching this developer and community portal where people will be able to come in, they'll be able to stake Constellation tokens and participate in different incentives from de you know producing development doc developer documentation to tutorials and guides to actually doing development um, on certain kind of issues uh, in our GitHub and partners GitHub and get rewarded for it. That that platform is going to be called Orion, launching at the end of the month. And you'll be required to stake uh, a certain number of tokens to gain access and have a membership to it. And we're actually going to be airdropping for six months memberships for developers and the community for that platform. And that information will be found through the website. So each month there'll be uh, an allocation of tokens that are given away as memberships. Those tokens will be locked as a membership for six months to the portal. You'll be able to access that, get in, contribute, earn more rewards. At the end of the six months, uh, it's down to the holder if they wish to continue their membership or transfer it to someone else. All right, very good. Well, guys, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, some great technology you're building. It uh, sounds, sounds like it'll be great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us, man. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. 
To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. <laughs>